There's an interesting story found in Mark chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 15, where the Pharisees are castigating Yeshua's disciples for not washing their hands properly before eating a meal. Mark 5 says, So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? And he answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold to the traditions of men. In a minute, let's talk about these traditions of men, and let's talk Torah. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? Well, hello, everyone. Kathy here with my favorite Torah buddy, Gary. <laughs> good to see you, Kathy, and good to, good to be with all of you. I was like, we need to, we need to change this up a little bit with our introduction. <laughs> That's fine. Let's not get boring, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, I, I'm, I'm very interested in this topic. I, I think I say that every time, though. I'm very interested in this topic. And, and that's quite clear, and I'm glad of it, because I, I am too. Um, but I think that this topic of traditions of men has caused some confusion, some misunderstanding, like within the church, because this idea of traditions of men sometimes gets confused with Torah itself, mm, you know? So true. leading people to kind of disparage God's laws, God's Torah, right along with the traditions or laws of men. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And one of the the warnings that I've always shared with my Hebraic roots cohorts, you know, people who have uh, who get into their Hebraic roots sometimes, and I, I describe it as the pendulum swinging too far. We we start criticizing the the traditions of man that we find in Christianity, and then we that pendulum swings, and then we get all the way over into this area where we we pick up on these rabbinic traditions of man that may not necessarily be biblically based. And so there's that true north somewhere in the middle that we're, we base uh, what we should be doing on the scripture and not on the traditions absolutely, of man. Absolutely, absolutely. It's easy to swing one way or the other. That, mm-hmm. that, that happens a lot. But I think, you know, this whole idea of traditions of men, I, I think it's more nuanced than even I've thought about it in the past when I've, I've said, okay, it's, 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 it's more nuanced than saying Torah is good and traditions of men are bad. Mm. I think that's still, um, I think there's more to it than even that. Yeah, okay? I'm sure, I'm sure and, we and can explore that. And those are the that. things that I want to kind of talk about a little bit, and, you know, related to this particular situation happening here in Mark 5. Mm. And um, I've been reading an interesting book, uh, the, the Letter Writer, and it's about Paul. Yeah, it's quite And good. for the life of me right this second, I can't remember the author. Do uh, you have that right here? here. <laughs> oh, right there. Here, Tim Hegg. Tim Hegg, H-E-G-G. Yes. Okay. That's very 
very good. It's very good. And uh, so Gary and I have both been reading that. And one thing that I found really helpful was to kind of look at a little background on these Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay? Mm-hmm. Because right here, uh, Yeshua is talking to the Pharisees, okay? And he's condemning them. So I'm like, well, you got to know a little bit about the Pharisees. That's right. You know, so you know what is happening. So, you know, we've heard Sadducees, Pharisees. And uh, just for a little background, the Sadducees were generally uh, from upper class families, okay? And because they were from upper class families, they tended to interact with the Gentile world more and they became more Hellenized, Mm -hmm. okay? So uh, more like their neighbors, so to speak, as compared to the Pharisees who did not have all of that interaction. And so the Pharisees, um, as opposed to the Sadducees, kind of retained a, a deep respect for the ancient traditions of Israel, the traditions of the fathers. Mm. Um, And in fact, it informed everything that they did. I mean, their whole life. It wasn't church on Sunday or (laughs) church on Saturday, whatever, the Sabbath, and then the rest of their life, it informed every aspect of their life. Right. Which, again, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. But so as part of these traditions uh, or respect for traditions, the Pharisees accepted something that some in our audience have, have probably heard of, maybe some haven't, and that's that idea of the oral law mm-hmm. or oral Torah as opposed to the written Torah the, right. in the Bible. And it uh, was accepted as a supplement, I guess you would say, to written Torah. This oral law was often called the traditions of the fathers. It was also referred to halakha as, as halakha or the way to walk. Mm-hmm. So how would you walk out your life? Right. You know? you know, you know, one of the biggest differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection exactly. and the Sadducees did not. Huge. And that's why they were Sadducee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> there we go. So there you go. Um, but actually, that's a huge difference. It is a huge it, difference. It made a big difference in the day and yes, at that it did. time. Exactly. exactly. But so anyway, I think as uh, Christians, we're, we're kind of quick to condemn this concept of oral law. And I, I think it, it's important to note that oral law kind of functions in a kind of the same way that like Christian commentary does or doctrines mm-hmm. of the church. OK, so um, there, you know, they take the Bible and then they build doctrines from it. Yeah, I, I like the way when you look at a midrash, uh, sometimes it, it's connecting the dots, yes. so to speak. Things that the scripture doesn't share with us, uh, they they come up with a reason why maybe we went from here to there. Not always do I feel like it, it might be something that we could accept, but it's it's possible. It's possible. It's tradi- you know, it, and it helps. I always want to look at that and see how did they get from there to yeah. here, here to there, that Me kind too. of thing. Because, you know, the Torah, the Bible is only so big. Mm-hmm. It can only address so many issues. Exactly. You know, so there's a lot of stuff that's left out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it seems like kind of important stuff. So, you know, the, they, the, the Pharisees, the rabbis were trying to kind of fill in those blanks lots of times to yeah. deal with uh, everyday situations, you know. So they had to fill in it. They, the goal was to start with the written word and then to consider the nature, the character of God. You know, he's a merciful God, but he's a just God. Those kind of big overarching principles, right. you know, and, and to kind of fill in the gaps mm-hmm. based on these bigger concepts that they, they knew. And 
you know, Christianity has done the exact same thing, you know, so we call it doctrines within the church. Um, It's how you can have one Bible yet all of these different denominations and belief systems Mm -hmm. because they claim the authority of the Bible, but then they take it a little beyond that, you know, in in different directions sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it it probably causes a lot of people to scratch their head and maybe not to, to even take uh, Christianity seriously. Um, But I think, again, you have to have your own personal relationship with God and explore the the scripture and, and none of us will ever have all the answers this side of eternity. Um, But Please, to our audience, don't discount uh, you know coming to faith in in the Creator of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just because the frailty or the failings of man. Exactly, that's that's big, important. Now, you know, uh, this whole idea about supplementing the Bible. I know we've all been really careful to say you don't add to or take away from God's Word, and I understand that. Okay, and that's important. That's a big principle. But like I said, sometimes there's gaps that need to be filled in, and even Moses himself kind of found him in one of these situations uh, in Numbers chapter 27. And it, that tells the story of the five daughters of Zelephahad. Zelephahad. <laughs> yeah, that's as good as I could do. <laughs> okay, good. And, and so, you know, according to Torah, there were some really important principles that God set down about how the land was to be allocated to the various tribes, but it's it was allocated to the male descendants, okay, right. very clearly. Mm-hmm. And if there were no male descendants within a particular family or tribe, then according to uh, uh, the, the Torah, then these the brothers of the deceased or uh, the brothers would get in there, okay, somehow, and they would inherit the land. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the, the story goes that these five sisters had no brother, okay? And so they approached Moses and the leaders, and they wanted to inherit the land to keep it within their family, within their tribe, and so forth. And they said, you know, let not our father's name be lost to the clan. Now, that was an important concept back then, okay, that of keeping that name, keeping that family line, and the Bible goes to great detail to make sure that continues in ways that we're not going to talk about today. But so uh, not losing that family line and that family inheritance of the land was extremely important. And um, so Moses goes to God, and, and basically the question is, what do we do with these daughters who don't have the, uh, a brother? They want to inherit the land, and then basically God says, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so yes, that should do. Now, that was not in the original written Torah. Right. Um, it was filled in to adjust that particular. And I, I think more than open the door, this this kind of illustrates the fact that the the... Law of Moses versus the Ten Words, the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. There, there is a separation there. There is a cast in stone, literally, set of of commands that that are unchangeable and eternal. And then there was the Law of Moses, which had a little bit more room for adjustment, amendment, uh, you know, with God, because not everything was initially written. And that's where I think it does open the door for the oral traditions and the, the understanding the proper spirit of what God was saying and then adjusting 
accordingly. Exactly. So in this case, we have uh, the Spirit of God is merciful, okay? Mm -hmm. And we know that he has a merciful nature. He has a justice system. And in, they also knew that he had a priority for the land to stay within a specific family. That mm -hmm. was a priority said in Torah. Yes, okay. So um, creating this... Um, uh, situation here where the daughters could could inherit the land was consistent with everything that they knew and understand. It was consistent with the spirit of the law yes. and the God of Israel and the nature and his character. Yeah, I, I think that that is a better definition and the idea of spirit of the Torah, or as Christians like to say, the spirit uh, of the law of the law. We we tend to to, to in, in Christianity, from my experience, we tend to think that the spirit overrides the Torah or the law, and that we can act in a way that just because somehow God is guiding us personally, uh, and, and we know, you and I know, that God would never, never contradict uh, and have you do something that was contradictory to his Torah, to his, to his law. So the idea of spirit of the law is more of an understanding of God's heart and mercy, uh, you know, long-suffering character, yes, yes. And, then, and, and then responding in like manner. Exactly. Versus contradictory. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. You know, this idea of, okay, so we had that Old Testament example. Then you say, okay, well, is there a New Testament example? Well, there really is in Romans chapter 7. Uh, Paul addresses this. And remember, Paul, uh, in Philippians 3, 5, he told us who he was. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. He never changed. So what we knew about, we know about the Pharisees still applied to Paul throughout mm. his walk. That didn't change. Okay. Right, he still right. counted himself. When he said this, he'd had his Damascus Road experience. That is correct. Okay? Yes. He was already following Yeshua as his Lord and Savior. So, so he still was Pharisee. Okay. Mm -hmm. He didn't denounce that. Right. You know, so he's speaking in, uh, in, in Romans chapter seven and he says, um, I'm, uh, I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, he said, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Okay. That sounds fair. Okay, that mm -hmm. seems seems good. The problem with that statement by Paul is that the written Torah does not specify that a married woman can remarry once her husband dies. Okay, there's nothing about that. Okay, so in this case, Paul is referring to another law besides written Torah law, mm -hmm. and he's still calling it law. That's where you have to be really careful with Paul. Yeah, well, it's also in reading reading the uh, the Bible in English, where um, we have one word law, whereas in in Hebrew you could you know you have mishpat or mishpatim in the plural. You have the Torah. You have you know different words, or in this case the oral traditions mm -hmm. that all get categorized in our English Bibles as law. law. 
exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, even there's Rome, there was Roman law. There was all right. sorts of law. But, right. yeah, so there's one English word. So mm-hmm. you really have to kind of tease that out sometimes yeah, exactly. and figure that out. But, you know, so what? He wasn't referring to Torah law here, okay? So he had he was referring to halakha, okay? These traditions of the rabbis, these traditions of men, the rabbis had determined that it was consistent with the merciful spirit of God that he would allow widows to remarry. And it didn't go against anything of Halakha, right. you know, I mean, of Torah. You know, this Halakha did not go against anything that Torah said. It was consistent with God's merciful nature, uh, particularly at that time when um, uh, women had a very hard time uh, yes, uh, fending for themselves and taking taking care of themselves. And if they lost their husband and they didn't have a son to take care of them, that was almost a death sentence. So yeah. it was very consistent within. Very uh, consistent. Yeah. We, you know, we see that in the story of Ruth. We see that you know Naomi basically giving up because there was not going to be a man, you know, to, to help her out. So yeah, I think exactly. you're, you're absolutely right. So so Paul is talking, like I said, about a law that he says is in effect. Okay, and as a Pharisee, this law is in effect. He under he he believes in it. He he upholds it. Um, so. that's just interesting. That's kind of that nuance that I was talking about that. Okay. That doesn't mean that every single tradition is bad of men is bad. Right. I I agree. I mean, uh, you know, maybe many Christians today would think that um, those of us who celebrate Hanukkah, are stepping away from you know Christianity and somehow following a tradition of, of, of Judaism. But when you look, you look at John chapter 10, I think it's verse 22, Yeshua was in the in Jerusalem for the feast of dedication. Well, the feast of dedication is Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah. And if it was good enough for him, it's good enough for me. But again, this is not something that we see as described as a feast of the Lord, but we know historically the significance of it. I, I hope our audience knows that maybe at, maybe at around that time of the year, we'll, which is coming up, we'll, uh, we'll talk more about Hanukkah. But uh, it's a very, very significant moment in, in Jewish history, and not only Jewish history, but it, 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 led, it, it kept the temple in place for the arrival of our Messiah. So it, it's very, usually important, and yet we don't see it described in Scripture other than Yeshua was attending. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a tradition that was a good tradition. It was a good tradition, yeah. but you can't go find a place that says you must right. do Hanukkah, you exactly. know, to celebrate Hanukkah. Exactly. exactly, exactly. So I think that what we can look at is, and kind of conclude with this, is if doctrine and commentary, or halakha, is consistent with clear reasonable interpretation of God's word, it can serve to enhance our understanding and our relationship with God. Now, if doctrine and commentary negates God's word or causes men to ignore God's word, then we've got a problem. Mm -hmm. And indeed, that is the situation that was happening in this story about the washing of hands, okay, in Mark and in Matthew. Uh, what, What Jesus is what, what the Pharisees were doing there was they had added law upon law uh, to what, every, what, what people were supposed to do. They had created such a burden, such a burden that ordinary people, non-Pharisees, okay, just would give up. 
I can't do all of this. Why do any of this? Mm -hmm. That was never the intent of Torah. In fact, Jesus said he taught that his burden or his yoke was light. Right. And what had happened was these, these, these Pharisees had added so much that the yoke was so heavy. It had caught, it had created an exact opposite effect of what Torah was. Yeah. I think, I think the intentions initially were good in that, uh, and we know that expression of building a hedge around the Torah. The idea was that if, if you if you pushed back far and further and further, then you will never even approach the idea of breaking that commandment. But it it, it caused problems. It caused decept. You know, I think uh, as you said, frustration and uh, people w- were. Just yeah, gave up. Just gave up. I mean, yeah. I, they, they, you, you know how that is. You just don't have enough time and day, day, minutes <laughs> in the day to worry about that. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> You're just trying to <laughs> stay alive. Okay? Right. Keep your family alive. So, you know, these traditions often sneak into our faith. Okay? Mm-hmm. And one of the most common places this happens is with the celebration of the holidays. Okay? In, in, all, in all faiths. And just so our audience knows, and Gary alluded to it before, is, you know, what will be equal opportunity offenders? We will uh, we will uh, talk about the traditions in both Christianity and in Judaism that have fallen away from Torah that have caused that I think would fall maybe into this category of what Yeshua was talking about right yeah. here. And Gary, you had brought up something. We just finished the fall holidays, and you had done a teaching that I thought was really interesting about uh, Rosh Hashanah. And how we got to that. Yeah, it's a fascinating uh, story, really. Um, and I know that uh, I, I depended upon uh, the teachings of Nehemia Gordon. I like to give him credit because he exposed this. And uh, it was something that I, I had wondered about. Uh, and so I researched, and that's how I found Nehemia's uh, study. I'd always wondered, well, wait a minute. The Bible describes the first of the year in Scripture very clearly in Exodus um, 12 when it talks about this being the first month. And it's in relationship to uh, how the feasts begin as we march toward um, Pesach and unleavened bread. So that was in my mind when I went on ser- in search of how did we go from that being the new year, according to God's word, to Rosh Hashanah, which the, in Jewish Everybody tradition says happy, says, happy new, new year. year. Right. So, yeah, so I went in search of and I found my answer. And um, it, it was exactly what I thought. Um, it, it, it was it changed by tradition. Now, listen, I know a lot of people have described this change as being, okay, there's a civil calendar and then there's a, a, a biblical calendar. Uh, it's just, and I've heard even preachers i've you know just like our our uh, fiscal year and our regular year or the school year and our hebraic or other year the gregorian calendar none of that is really true about this situation you have to dig deeper and and instead of making excuses for it find the answer and this is what i found now when we when you said yom trua a lot of people, or I don't even know if we mentioned it yet, we said Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, right. Most of our audience probably recognizes, even if they're not into Hebraic roots, recognizes that uh, feast that they, they contribute to Jewish people celebrating Rosh Hashanah. Mm-hmm. And they hear Happy New Year, Shana Tova, you know, Happy New Year. And when you say Yom HaTruah or Yom Teruah, they're scratching their head as, what is that? 
I've never heard of that. And that's what I want to get at, because in the scripture, which you and I depend on, you know, for, for all of our guidance, um, it says the first day of the month, the Torah commands us to observe a holy day of Yom Teruah, which means a day of shouting. This is found in Leviticus 23, verse 23 through 25. I want to give the scripture references here. And Numbers 29, 1 through 6. Yom Teruah is a day of rest on which work is forbidden. But one of the unique things about Yom Teruah is it really doesn't give any other instruction about the day. All the other feasts have at least one and sometimes two reasons for the, the feast itself. But that's not true with Yom Teruah. And it also, uh, it's called in the Hebrew, Yom Teruah is also referred to as Zikron Teruah. And the word zikron means, or is translated as a memorial. So the, the Hebrew name uh, kind of makes mention or at least references the idea that this is a time of remembering, a memorial. And because of, of the name meaning uh, mention, uh, being about a noise, a loud noise or a shout, uh, the theory is maybe that it's a time uh, that we all mention the name of Jehovah, a day of gathering in public prayer, and shouting his name in unison. That's that's one thought process. But And um, not in this program today, but I, I have my own theories about what the, the, the final fulfillment of Yom Teruah will be. We, we won't have time for that. But today, most people don't recognize Yom Teruah because that's all they've heard is Rosh Hashanah. Now... All right, so we look at the biblical name, Yom Truah, and we look at Rosh Hashanah, literally means head of the year. It means New Year's. Okay, the transformation of Yom Truah, day of shouting, or, or a day of a blast or a noise, into Rosh Hashanah is a result of pagan influence, a Babylonian pagan influence, and that needs to be understood. Today, few people remember the biblical name uh, because, you know, it's, we, we, you know, all we hear is this, this uh, call for Rosh Hashanah, Happy New Year. The first stage of this transformation uh, was the adoption of the Babylonian month names. Now, in the Torah, the months are numbered as first month, second month, third month, etc. You can find that in Leviticus 23, Numbers 28. But during the sojourn in Babylonia, the Hebrews began to use pagan Babylonian names. Now, this is something, Kathy, that is found in the Talmud and is regularly admitted, so it's not something I'm making up. But the pagan nature uh, of, of the Babylonian month names is epitomized by the fourth month of Tammuz. Let's, let's use that as an example. In the, Tamil, uh, the Babylonian religion, Tammuz was the god of grain, whose annual death and resurrection brought fertility to the world. Okay, so you can see we're and we've already... talked about Tammuz in, yeah, a, in another yeah. podcast. So too. you see it already by using the month name, using that name for a month in the Hebrew calendar. We've already started. You've started the switch. Yeah, we've got trouble. Okay, yeah. we've started this think this change in people's thinking. So Tammuz was a god of grain whose annual death and resurrection brought fertility to the world. And if you look in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet describes that he's going on his journey to Jerusalem and he saw Jewish women sitting in the temple weeping over Tammuz. Ezekiel um, 8 verse 14. Not good. Not good. Because mm -hmm. the reason they're weeping over Tammuz is that according to Babylonian mythology, Tammuz had been slain but not yet resurrected. 
In ancient Babylonia, the time for weeping over Tammuz was early summer. What what do we see in early summer? You know, you've been to Israel plenty of times. The rain stops, and throughout the Middle East, the green vegetation is is burnt by this unrelenting sunshine. No rain, right? So today, the fourth month of the in the rabbinical calendar, known as Tammuz, is still a time of weeping and mourning in Juda in Judaic thought. Okay. So seeped in there it's from Babylonia in. from weeping to Fortimo. Okay. And somebody might say, all right, what's this have to do with Rosh Hashanah? We're going to get there. Uh, all right. So some of the Babylonian names then uh, started making their way into the latter books of the Tanakh. Uh, but they always, at that time, they always appeared with the Torah names. The example would be found in Esther 3.7. It says, in the first month, which would be the Torah name, uh, Torah name, which And then it goes on to say, which is the month of Nisan in the 12th year of the king. So in the book of Esther, they begin to say, okay, they'll use the Torah name first month, but they also incorporated the Babylonian name. Okay, this, this verse, verse starts off with the right name, but then it, it translates the pagan equivalent to the month Nisan. So we have to understand what's happening. By the time of Esther, all the Jews were living in the Persian Empire, and the Persians had adopted the Babylonian calendar for all of their, you know, administration. So, you know, at first, the, Babylon, the, the Jews used the Babylonian names alongside the Torah names. It was, seemed innocent. You know, we'll use the Torah name and we'll use the Babylonian name. But after a while, the Torah name fell into disuse. And all you had was the Babylonian names. So as the Jewish people became more comfortable with the Babylonian month names, they became more susceptible to other Babylonian influences. I, you know, if I had to compare this to something that we've seen more in modern history, I would think of it as what, when the Jews arrived in America, um, they took on customs of American Christmas for Hanukkah. Exactly. Right? Gift giving was never the part. Gift giving. That was never a part of it beforehand, but in America it was. And you don't find that in Israel where Hanukkah doesn't have to um, compete, compete for the hearts right. uh, for the, of the youth of the, of the children of, in Israel. But once Hanukkah took on that relatively, uh, you know, harmless aspect of Christmas, it became ripe for more significant influences. So today, many American Jews have established the custom of setting up a Hanukkah bush <laughs> as a Jewish alternative to the Christmas tree. I mean, it's because these Boy, Jews, it seeps in there. It does. They, you know, the Jews didn't want to adopt Christmas outright. So what did they do? They Judaized they it. Judaized and it. so the Christmas tree is incorporated into Hanukkah. That example shows how easy it is for these practices of foreign religions to influence. Uh, and that's what I think the, the example of Hanukkah is exactly what we find uh, what happened in, in, the, in the pagan world or in the Babylonian world. The Jews of America were influenced by Christmas and the ancient rabbis were influenced by the, pa the Babylonian um, religion. So although... Many Jews returned to Judea when the exile was over, and it officially ended in 516 BCE. The forebearers of today's rabbis, they remained behind in Babylonia. And that's really where rabbinical Judaism gradually took shape. And many of the earliest known rabbis, such as Hillel, were born and educated in Babylonia. So you can see, you see where I'm going with this, all right? So, in you know... The fact that the, the, the heartland of rabbinic Judaism was, was in Babylonia until the 11th century CE, okay? So the Babylonian Talmud 
abounds with all these influences of Babylonian paganism. You know the fact even pagan deities appear in the Talmud recycled as Jewish angels and demons? You see, so again, as you said, Christianity we're, did some of that. Too. Right. We're yeah. equal, equal opportunity offenders here. Right. We're going to do both Judaism and Christianity. All right. So once the field of, of Babylonian uh, religious influence was in observance of Yom Truah as the New Year celebration, from the very early times, the Babylonians, they had a, a lunar solar calendar, very similar to the, the biblical calendar. The result was that Yom Truah often fell out on the same day as the Babylonian New Year's festival of Akitu. So the Babylonian Akitu fell out on the first day of Tishri. That's the Babylonian name of the first of the seventh month. And it coincided with Yom Truah on the first day of the seventh month. So when Jews started calling the seventh month by the Babylonian name of Tishri, it paved the way to turning Yom Truah into a Jewish It's just Akitu. a little step now. Yeah. Yeah, you just one little step. One and little, little step. step. And now now you've got this this Jewish form of the Babylonian Akitu. Just as now Hanukkah has turned into a Jewish form of uh, Christmas. Christmas. You see yeah. how easy it happens. All right, so the rabbis wow. <laughs> the, the rabbis didn't want to just like today they didn't want to make Christmas a Jewish form, they out, you know, accept it outright. So they Judaized it. They, they, the rabbis Judaized Yom Truah, the day of shouting, to Rosh Hashanah, the New Year's. Okay? So in fact, the, the Torah, the, the fact that the Torah does not give a reason for the celebration of Yom Truah, no doubt made it easier, easier. That's for easier. the rabbis yes. to proclaim it as a Jewish wow. New Year. Wow. So, you know, and it's really, it's outright bizarre when you think about it, because Yom Truah as New Year's is, it's falling in the seventh month, the seventh month of the biblical year. So, you know, it did, it did fall in the context of the Babylonian culture perfectly. The Babylonians actually celebrated a key to New Year's twice a year, once in the first of Tishri and again, six months later at the first of Nisan. Isn't that amazing? Right, at the, which wow. would be the actual the new year in the, of the, in the, year, in the Torah. Yes. So the first Babylonian Akitu celebration coincides with Yom Truah, and the second Akitu coincided with the actual new year in the Torah, the first day of the first month. So while the rabbis proclaim Yom Truah to be the New Year's, they still recognize that the first day of the first month in the Torah was, as its name implied, also a new year. So they could hardly deny this based on Exodus 12. I mentioned that earlier, Exodus 12, 2, which says, This month shall be for you the beginning of the months. It is the first month of the year. They couldn't deny that. There Very it clear. was in the Torah. So the context of this verse speaks about the celebration of the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which falls out in the first month. So in light of this verse, the rabbis could not deny that the first day of the first month was the biblical new year. But in the cultural context of Babylonia, where Akitu was celebrated as the New Year's twice a year, it made perfect sense for Yom Truah to be the second New Year's, even though it was in the second, in the seventh, seventh month. month. Uh, you know, now think about this. On, uh, you know, on, on the, the, the seventh month, you have the Feast of Booths. And it takes place exactly two weeks after Yom Truah. This is Tabernacles. And it's referred to in one of scriptures, one of our passages, Exodus 23, 16 says, it's the going out of the year. 
going out of the year. So this would be like calling January 15th in our modern calendar the going, <laughs> going out, out of the year. year. The Torah would not subscribe Sukkot in this manner if it intended for Yom Trua to be celebrated as the a The first new of the year, year yes. Right? So the pagan influence on the rabbis just stuck. And now it, even our Hebrew roots, uh, you know, friends are celebrating New Year at Rosh Hashanah when in fact the biblical celebration is Yom Trua. Nothing I to think do with that Yom. exactly. And so what benefit do we have as we go and seek the truth of God's word if we're switching tradition, one set of traditions of men for another set of traditions of men? Exactly. You I know. think we, we will we will fail to accomplish what we are trying to accomplish. And I don't believe it will have the blessings of God the way it will when we fully are obedient to the Torah. You know, I, I, I hear that, that story of, of uh, you know, the Yom Teruah becoming Rosh Hashanah, and, I, and I, it's so sad because even a lot of Jewish people have no idea of that story. No, they don't. Okay? As well as, like we said, those who are in the Hebraic Roots movement often don't either, so they just, you know, would innocently accept a lie, you know, basically, and say, okay, we're going with this. And we're mm-hmm. going to have a Bible verse for that in just a minute. But see, that has <laughs> happened to us, right. you know, within Christianity. So it's easy. Okay. So you can say, okay, okay, the Jews had a problem there. Okay. They did that. That's a problem. But we do the same thing with our holidays too. Yes, we do. You know, so we've got, we, we talked a little bit in, does God care how we worship him? We talked about the Easter traditions and how uh, we talked about Tammuz a little bit. Okay. Yes, now did. that the 40 days of weeping and becoming Lent and all of that kind of stuff too. So they crept in, in the exact same ways. The same thing has happened in our Christmas celebrations where we have so much symbol that is is so pagan in its origins, but nobody stops to question it. Right. Nobody, everybody just accepts that that's what it is. It's always been that way. Right, you always know? been that way. Or I've even heard, well, we've redeemed it. And we've redeemed it. And, and, and that happens, that happens all the time. I remember a time when I fully believed that, mm-hmm. I fully believed that. And I believe now that I was in error of that. Okay. I believe, you know, that we, we redeem that. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but you know, let's talk about this now. That's exactly what happened when, um, in that golden calf incident. Mm-hmm. Okay. In Exodus. So in the golden calf incident, they all throw their earrings and nose rings and everything else. And in, you know, up to Aaron, he creates this golden calf. And then he says, okay, this is your God, Israel, who brought you out of Israel. And tomorrow we will celebrate a festival to our God, our God, this God. Okay. So what they were doing is they just created this festival for their God. God didn't tell him to create that festival. You know, he was, he had his own festivals. He was getting ready to, you know, give those, well, he had, you know, like, 10 minutes before, given those up on Mount Sinai, right, right. <laughs> you know, um, but he had his own festivals and they're saying, no, 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 we're going to create our own traditions mm-hmm. and we're going to attribute them to you. We're going to say they're for you, even though you did not ask for that, right? you know, and, and, and then the only effect that that has is it pulls us away from God. Exactly. And I think that is, that is exactly the sins of Jeroboam when it comes to, when it came to don't go to Jerusalem 
stay here and was because he was at, you know he wanted the, he wanted to centralize the power there set up false altars set up false feast days this will be a feast to you all, all that is that's the sin of the church exactly the sins of Jeroboam can are exactly what the church did come to Rome don't go to Jerusalem yeah exactly and so so we're not it's not like we're saying okay we're going to you know condemn Jews condemn Christians this is a human tendency yes okay so across all human beings no matter what their religious faiths are is these things creep in and then we get down the road and we don't even realize that they've crept in now we've spent you know many times talking about the the uh, uh, Sabbath worship okay and the we did a whole podcast about that and how it switched from the biblical keeping of the Sabbath um, on the seventh day, and it switched over to uh, the, the Sunday worship of Christianity. And we even said, you know, there's nothing wrong with worshiping God on any day, okay? Day one, day two, day three, okay? Those also, right. that the same name thing happened there. Yes. Okay, all right, so they got pagan names, Pagan okay? names it is instead of first Rather day of the week. Rather than first day, second yeah. day, third day, okay? So that's another problem, <laughs> you know? But so you switch over and you're like, okay, it's not, there's no problem with worshiping God on uh, third day. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But if it keeps you from honoring the Sabbath, Exactly. Which is a command, then it's a problem. Yes. Yes. We have no, there's no reason why we can't worship him any day of the week, but he commanded us to, to rest from our work and to, to, you know, have a holy convocation and be, you know, that, that day was set apart. I think that what we fail to understand a lot of times in our modern world is the idea of holy is set apart to, you know, God set apart his people. Israel to be a light to the nations. He set apart a land for them to to fulfill that mission on. He set apart a day and and you know, weekly and then days annually to be set apart for him for for us to reconnect to to re, to rekindle that relationship with him and to remember. All those things are important, and when we fail to do that, we see the results. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, so we do this over and over, and I think this is part of the great restoration is God's mm. trying to get us back, back to what, what his word said at the beginning. Um, we haven't really done a, a podcast on a kosher the, the kosher, you know, dietary guidelines yet. But, mm. you know, even when you talk about that, you know, kosher laws, uh, well, how do we eat? Who, who determines what is food right. and what isn't food? Mm. You know, we have come so far from um, submitting to what God says is food versus what our idea is food. So our traditions of men say that something is food. It negates what God said is food. That's a great. That's point. a problem. That's a great point. Okay. And I like what you always say about the the very first sin was about a food law, you know. And it just seems to be that it it, it hits us at a, a very basic human fleshly need, fleshly level. place. Yeah. And so we go with we go with our desires over you our know hungers. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Literally, exactly. You know that BLT seems to be more important than God's word. Exactly. And I've heard all kinds of excuses and rationalizations about that as well. You know, modern refrigeration and blah 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 blah. But those are but traditions a, of men too. Yes. I think that's part of that whole traditions of men. These ideas of men that get in the way. Yeah. Okay. And and then keep us from obeying Torah. Exactly. 
if it's keeping us from obeying Torah, Torah, that's a problem. If it's enhancing our obedience to Torah and it's a tradition, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, um, I, I think within the church, that idea of uh, baby, uh, baby baptism. Okay, there's no biblical precedent that says that um, someone can baptize someone else and that that is the final decision of whether or not that that infant is going to be accepting uh, to follow God. Okay, in fact, um, I would say that if you were relying very heavily on baby baptism, it might cause you to think you don't have to make that decision as an adult. I already got baptized. Right. My parents baptized me. I'm a-okay. Everything's fine. I don't have to do anything else. Right. Okay. And that's a problem because each one of us has to make a choice. Okay. About that. But if you think it's already been made for you and you're okay, then that tradition draws you away from what needs to, what, what God's word tells you to do. Uh, exactly. And and now there's that idea of baby dedication. Now that doesn't draw you away. A parent says I'm going to dedicate basically myself. That's mm-hmm. what I'm doing. I'm dedicating myself to raising this child yes. in this way so that when the child grows up, we pray that they that child makes the right decision. It's an adult decision it's at an, that time. Exactly. Yes, and then like with, with Hannah, okay, mm-hmm. what she did with Samuel, okay? Mm-hmm. She was going to raise him in that way and because she did, he did make the right choices, okay? Right. Um, so so that's different, but if, if, if they're saying, okay, you, this is the commandment of the church, baby baptism, and if it negates something that is of the word, that's where the problem is. Exactly. That's where the problem is. You know, you is. mentioned earlier, you mentioned the Sabbath. Um, you know, it was the Catholic Church who, who made the decision early on to move the day to Sunday. And they will brag about the fact that there is no biblical precedent for that move, which should be the, our first warning yes. sign, right? And but say, but then say, but the Protestant world followed suit, so that that demonstrates the authority that the Catholic, that the Catholic Church, Church has. Church. So it's like, wow. wow. But uh, again, they admit that there is no biblical uh, authority for that. You know, um, we've always we've always gotten back to this 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 the, the scare what we call the scariest verse in the whole bible yeah. uh, Matthew 7:23 many will say to me on that day lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles then i will tell them plainly i never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness mm. and you're like so okay here's this group of people that are engaging in in uh, traditions uh activities behaviors that they they believe are the right ones they believe they're doing it for the lord that you know i guess those israelites at the uh, at the foot of mount sinai believed that this golden calf was Mm. god and this festival was going to be for the god of israel yeah And we saw how that turned out. We saw that turn out. That didn't turn out well. It turns out just about exactly the same as Matthew 7, 23. Yeah, it does. Uh, It's exactly that. I mean, that to to me, that is why you described it as the scariest verse in the Bible, because it is those of us who who would be uh, believe that we are his children. And then at that that point of judgment, he says, turn away. I never knew you. And and what was that? Because none of us seeks 
I, I don't think, you know, we seek, we don't want that destruction. We're not self, we, we're, we don't want that to happen. Right. None of us wants that to happen, okay? But that's a really, we have to be careful about that. And the only way, you can't sit here and listen to me and Gary talk about this or your pastor talk about this or your friend or your parents or whatever. You got to go back to the word. Mm. If there's something that we're saying that doesn't square with the word, then you need to go back to the word. Absolutely. You know, so yeah. I, I think that because otherwise, how many years did both of us sit in pews hearing things mm -hmm. from a pastor, not checking it out with the word? Believing it to be the truth, finding out later that it wasn't. Yeah, accepting the traditions of man, and you know, and I know you were going to talk about Jeremiah calling them lies. Yeah, I mean, well, here, let's just look at that exactly. Okay. Jeremiah sixteen, it says, "The Gentiles shall come unto thee, the Gentiles, okay, mm -hmm. shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit." Now, who inherited the lies? The Gentiles, Gentiles okay? Yes. That's you and me for most many of us in this audience, right, okay? Right. We're the ones that inherited the lies, okay? That would... And I will say, yes, there are lies in Judaism, the religion of Judaism, too. There's no lies within Torah and God's word. Exactly. But there's it's lies the within the man-made religion yes. of Judaism that do get passed down, okay? Mm -hmm. And they and, have. And, yes. and they have, and you already talked about right. you know, that with uh, Rosh Hashanah. But, you know, so we're like, okay, so we have a time frame, okay, when people will come from the ends of the earth, these Gentiles, and say, our fathers have inherited lies, things of no profit. Now, we always like to look back at context, Absolutely. okay? So if you go back to Jeremiah 16 and you read context, it says in 14, Therefore, behold, the days come, said the Lord, that, shall no, that it shall no more be said, the Lord lives that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord lives that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north, from the lands, uh, all the lands where, the, where he has driven them. And I will bring them again to their land that I gave unto their fathers. <laughs> now you're in my wheelhouse. Yeah, I'm in your wheelhouse. Because, because, you know, I say over and over and over again, this is today. And if you look at the regathering of the Jewish people back to the land of Israel, and, and we have retrospect at our to our advantage we can look at the rebirth of israel 48 the reunification of jerusalem in 67 we can look at the the fall of the soviet union in 91 and we can see the jewish people returning all of this time and continues today and we can look at this verse and say okay that that 2700 year old prophecy is today it's coming true today and therefore putting in context the idea of people like you and I looking at the traditions that we were taught all our lives and going oh we've been oh, <laughs> we've man, inherited we've lies been, we've been lied to yeah. all these all these years right but so Yes, the context is today, and that's why it's important to look at context and not just pull verses out, you know, willy-nilly, okay, but to look and say, oh, what what time frame are they talking about? And, you know, as you said, Gary, it's today, so it's during this time when God's doing this amazing work, we call it the work of the Aliyah, that, mm. that you're so involved in, um, okay, and that's happening today, and this is the time frame for us saying, okay, the, we, something's wrong, right? Something's wrong. And we need to get back. 
um, all part of this idea of the great restoration, this yes. restoring of the people to the land and all of God's people to a true faith. Absolutely. And I think that, boy, I think that's, that's it right there in a nutshell, the true faith, because everything else is religion, Kathy. I mean, I, whether it be, be following the traditions of man and Judaism, the following the traditions of Christianity, if we think that we have to, um, uh, you know, it's because we do a devotion every morning or if, whether it, we say our prayers just right or whatever that, whatever that looks like to you, that is, that is religion. What we're talking about here is restoring that relationship with God uh, by being obedient at, with a love response to his commands. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And, and it's not a burden. It's, 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 freedom it's and it's joy yeah. it's peace it's so much more i'm i'm grateful that we're living in this time to see the fulfillment of these prophecies Amen. Hear me both. i am saddened that many of our uh, um, gentile or church friends don't see this mm. it's sad to me because i feel like they're 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 I think they're making all of these efforts to build relationship or to, to they want that relationship. I, I believe they really do, but they're, they, because of inheriting lies from their fathers, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to blame them. I only, like I said, you can pass this all the way back, maybe to Emperor Constantine. Yeah, okay. If you yeah. want to do that, I'm not blaming pastors. I'm not blaming people sitting in the church or right. anything like that because we've all been victims of this. I'm, I don't like to use that idea of victimology, but it's all been passed down as lies yeah. as the word just told us. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and that's sad that not only not only are they missing God's return of His people, mm -hmm. okay, and much of the church misses that, yes, they right? Are. Yes. Okay, but they're 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 missing this return to this restoration to God's truth because they're holding so desperately to these traditions. Yes. And those traditions mean more to them, unfortunately, right now than the word of God, the truth of God's word. I, you know, a friend of mine uh, would ask um, his friends this question. If everything that you ever believed, if you discovered, if everything that you believe was a lie, would you want to know? And I, I think everybody needs to ask themselves that question. Is it what what is it that I that has been passed down to me that has not is not true according to the Word of God? And discard it and start walking in the in the true faith. Um, you know, this, this is again. That's a big thing. It to think is. About. It's huge. And um, I always say too, is like, look, when this happens to you, don't hate the people that believe the way you did two weeks ago, right? Because exactly. we all have been there. And don't hate the people who are sharing the truth with you either. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which might be happening right now as exactly. we speak. I don't know. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think that's, I, I, I think that's what it is. We're talking about something really bigger than all of us. And we've got to put ourselves into a position of humility and, 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 and say, okay, yeah, I, 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 is this truth that, that I've, I've accepted as truth? Why have I accepted it as truth? What, what, you know, how do I go back? You went back and did the research mm -hmm. for Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and you, and it was there. 
Yes, it was there. And, and, there. and you, but you had to do a little bit of work, mm-hmm. and and you figured it out. Okay, it's all there. Yeah, it's all here in His Word. Okay, but we've got to we've got to do the work of going back to the Word and 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 digging it out. It's that it's part of that that pearl. Okay, the kingdom and That's all right. of that of great value that you would give up everything else for. Okay, yes. that's kind of like what you're saying. You would give up everything, everything else, else, everything else, to hold on. And, and and as God's even said, giving up family, mm, you know, it can e- cause everything division. else. Yes, yes. everything, everything else. else. Uh, the pearl of great price is a great uh, uh, analogy here uh, or parable because yes, that's what it is. You have to you have to purge everything else and hold on dearly to what God has instructed us to do. And I think it's going to be really, really hard. And I think that, you know, we're not saying that every tradition of men is bad. That That's not true. I think I kind of wanted to start when I talked about it being nuanced. You're right. Okay. And how even Paul knew that there were traditions of men that were, were valid sure. and good and enhanced our relationship with God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there are definitely traditions, holidays and all of that, that can do that. The don't negate Torah, you know? Um, but I think that we now, as some of you may have been he- some may be hearing this for the first time. Some may have been hearing it over and over. I think, you know, if it's pricks your consciousness to kind of go start looking at that a little bit more, I think that's a good time. And I think that this is maybe you going toward that time when you say, I've inherited some lies. Right. I need to, to look into that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, go back because uh, you uh, Christianity cannot build its foundation or cannot find its foundation beyond Constantine and the Council of Nicaea. Um, if, if you want a starting point to look at how we, we codified the, the split, the split began a little bit before that, but that's when it became a new religion. I've, I've, I asked pers- purposely asked uh, an Orthodox Jewish man, when did Christianity begin? And he said, he said um, 325 A.D., because the, he knows that that's where Constantine and, and Christianity really became, you know, a, a codified religion, separate. And I'll just say, share this, and, and and I'm done. The the idea that he, that Constantine told told his bishops who had not attended the Council of Nicaea, we have found a better way, and we will have nothing to do with those despicable Jews. Now that should be all the evidence you need that this was a breakaway. It was a separation. It was it was the church being born in divorce of its Hebraic root. Exactly. Exactly. And so, uh, like I said, I, I don't want anyone to walk away with this feeling um, condemned. I think it's the, the, the feeling should be one of freedom now, freedom from the the be poetic, the shackles of the <laughs> lies. Right. OK. Yeah. Um, that when you have truth, it will set you free. Amen. And I think that's that's the the truth. It's the hope. That's the that's the feeling that I, I hope people come away with from this. So I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. And I think I think it's worth taking the time to re-examine our traditions, particularly those that we claim are part of our practice of our faith. Mm-hmm. Okay? What are the traditions that you're engaging in that are keeping you from keeping God's Torah or keeping you from having the kind of relationship with God that he wants with you. Now, this requires some 
really intense self-introspection. Yes, okay? it does. I mean, yeah. um, it requires us to turn off all the chatter that we hear from really well-intended family, friends, even the church, who may tell us that certain traditions of men are not harmful to our full submission to the God of Israel. But I encourage you to step back, question these traditions, and make sure they aren't lies inherited by our fathers. And, 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 and better yet, they're, they're not lies that you pass down to your children because you will be held responsible then for that. So let's be honest with ourselves and with God. So make sure we're not caught up in that group that says, didn't we do this and that in your name? If the this and that is not consistent with God's Torah, it's best to throw it out now while there's still time to do it. Amen. So until we meet again, remember what the psalmist said. Those who love your Torah have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Shalom. Shalom. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.